This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Stokes here. Welcome back to the Trading Coach Podcast. Thank you as always for joining me. Today we're going to talk a little bit about culture and, uh, well, the secrets of highly successful groups. Uh, But first and foremost, if you guys are brand new to the podcast, thank you for joining. Do me a favor, take the 10 episode challenge. We're getting really close to episode 200 right now, so there's a, a bunch to choose from. Scroll through, find a a title that you like, or pick a random one, uh, a random 10, I should say, and check it out. It'll give you a good feel of what the Trading Coach Podcast is about. Also, uh, if you're new or if you haven't done so already, do me a big favor, leave me a review, especially on iTunes. I I heard from a lot of people that said, hey, Keel, I've listened to every single episode you've done, but I always forget to leave you a rating and a review. Please uh, take a couple seconds out of your day and do so. It's a massive help to the show. It allows us to grow. It allows us to reach more people, empower more people, and just help everyone become more successful, which is the goal here. Now, I recently popped open a book. Um, My book list is very, 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 very long, mainly because I I made the switch from audiobook back to hard copy, right? I used to do hard copy back uh, before I had kids and whatnot. I I would spend some time during the day. I'd go outside. I got a little loungy chair. I'd sit there and read and listen to the birds and natures and kind of, you know, find my my zen place, my happy place. Um, Since having kids, and you guys have seen my kids, and you've seen videos and heard the rumors, uh, it, it eliminates a lot of time and, and, and reading was one of the things that got kind of cut out from that. So I switched over to audiobook just to become more efficient with my time. That way, when I went for long runs or long bike rides, I can listen to, uh, or long, even long drives, I guess, since I'm on the road all the time, I can listen to a book. And, and I was able to blast through books uh, pretty much about a book a week. It wasn't that difficult. Um, however, I, I didn't find myself retaining as much of the information um, we know that, uh, when you just hear something, you don't retain as much as when you see it. Um, when you see it, you don't, you know, so a lot of the information was getting, getting, um, really going one in one ear and out the other as I, my mind, you know, typically goes to other places. So started back on the hard copy and my book list has gotten big, but one of the ones that I wanted to jump into was a one called, the Culture Code uh, by Daniel Coyle. The Culture Code, Culture Code, Culture Code. The Culture Code. There we go. The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. And 
This was a book that was given to me by the athletic director at the university I work at. Um, and the athletic director, for you guys that may not know, he's basically the boss of all of the coaches. So all of the head coaches answer to him. Obviously, the assistant coaches answer to the head coaches. And he bought this book for everyone in his department because he's been working on developing a, a culture, a changing the culture at the university. And changing the culture is, or I should say this, the culture of your tribe is the most important thing that you can have as a, a business owner. I see that with my track and field team where we don't necessarily have the greatest athletes in the world, right? There are other teams that have better athletes than us, but we have the best culture. And because of having that best culture, we're able to get the most out of what we have. We're able to take athletes that may not be as talented as other athletes, but they have that drive, that desire, that work ethic to outwork the other athletes with more talent and we end up outperforming them. And we see the same thing in business a lot. I always say this as a business owner. I would much rather I would much rather hire a person that is less talented but works hard than someone that is more talented but doesn't work because although the initial I guess the initial payoff would be there with the person that is more talented the longer term payoff will be with the person that works harder because they will eventually gain ground and surpass that talented person that doesn't work on their skill. And trading is the same way. Something we've done at Tier 1 Trading is we've developed a culture and it's an amazing culture, it's an amazing reputation as we only work with serious traders. And in the past, we have to deal with a lot of kind of flaky traders, traders that are half in, half out. They, they, they kind of really disturb the culture. Um, we deal with none of that now. Everyone that is a member of Tier 1 Trading is a dedicated member, meaning they are a part of this program because they want to get better. And they know that part of wanting to get better is accountability, meaning they have to hold themselves accountable. And in turn, they have to have people hold them accountable. So it's this this family and this 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 culture dynamic of helping each other out, lifting each other up, working hard on yourself, doing what you're supposed to be doing um, that exists. And, and that's one of the reasons we have one of the highest success rates as far as um, you know, converting traders from consistently struggling to consistently profitable out there in the industry. Also, one of the reasons we are recognized by Forbes magazine, shameless plug, but whenever you're recognized by Forbes magazine, you have to shamelessly promote it, right? Why, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> so culture has always been very important. And so I'm excited to read this book. And I didn't get past the introduction before I knew I had to stop and record a podcast. And I wanted to read you the introduction today because it was a very interesting experiment. All right, so real quick, I want to interject. This is I'm actually recording this during the, the, the post-editing process because I, I was reminded of one more story I wanted to share about the importance of culture. And it came from an article that I recently read on an NBA player named Kawhi Leonard. Now, Kawhi Leonard, he, he's kind of he's, he's famous for not really wanting to be famous. He, he's probably the best two-way player in the NBA right now. Um, but he's known for kind of like just being a quiet person, doesn't say anything, zero personality. Um, so people are always looking more and more into kind of him, the person. And the article was interesting because this guy is arguably the, the greatest player in the NBA right now. 
But when he was first drafted, um, when he first came into the National Basketball Association, there really wasn't a big deal made out of him. He was an okay player. He was supposed to be a, a pretty good defensive player and limited offensive player. So just like a normal team person that would fit in well to a team, but would never grow into a superstar. And two things affected his growth. One was just his work ethic, right? He's a guy that on his recruiting visit to college, right? They A lot of times on recruiting visits, they try to get you to go to parties. They get you to go to this, right? They sell you on the campus to get you to to, to go there. And he was like, no, I just, I, I just want to go to a basketball court and shoot. Where's Where's the gym? And there were rumors even that when he was in college, he would always walk around with a backpack and a basketball. And between classes, he would go to the gym and shoot. He's very, very dedicated and very methodical about becoming better. So obviously the, the work ethic is there um, to become a, a great player. But I think one of the best things that could have happened to him is him getting drafted by a team called the San Antonio Spurs. And the San Antonio Spurs are a, a they were a dynasty in the NBA. They were a, t- a team that was never really superior. They never really had superior talent to other teams. But their culture was terrific. They had a great head coach. The, the, everyone knew their role in the culture. And that's what elite, uh, allowed them really to overachieve. And he got put into that culture where he had other teammates in there where the culture was, hey, we work hard. We don't mouth off. We don't become celebrities. We come in, we do our job, we get better. We come in, we do our job, we get better. We come in, we do our job and get better. And he got adapted to that culture and and you can just see the growth that happened to him over the years. And as he looks back at his career, he's on a different team now, but um, he looks back at it and says, you know, I was drafted into the perfect situation. I, I was put into a, because I wasn't a high draft pick and high draft picks, you usually go to the worst teams. The worst teams typically don't have the best culture because that's why they end up being the worst. He was, he had the luxury of being drafted into a, into a good team which had an established culture, had veteran leaders um, to really mold him and, and teach him the habits that he would need to eventually become the best player in the NBA. So I thought that was a cool story. I'm in NBA Finals mode right now since we have game four tomorrow. So wanted to sneak that in. Um, I'll go back to what I was originally saying in the podcast now. Give me a second. Let me flip to the page. And I want to read it to you um, just because it was it was really mind mind-opening for me and the title of the introduction is when two plus two equals ten again when two plus two equals ten and the author says let's start with a question which might be the oldest question of all why do certain groups add up to be greater than the sum of their parts while others add up to be less a few years ago the designer and engineer, Peter Skillman, held a competition to find out. Over several months, he assembled a series of four-person groups at Stanford, the University of California, the University of Tokyo, and a few other places. He challenged each group to build the tallest possible structure using the following items. 20 pieces of uncooked spaghetti, one yard of transparent tape, one yard of string, one standard-sized marshmallow. The contest had one rule. 
the marshmallow had to end up on top. The fascinating part of the experiment, however, had less to do with the task than with the participants. Some of the teams consisted of business school students. The others consisted of kindergartners. The business students got right to work. They began talking and thinking strategically. They examined the materials. They tossed ideas back and forth and asked thoughtful, savvy questions. They generated several options, then honed the most promising ideas. It was a professional, rational, and intelligent process. This process resulted in a decision to pursue one particular strategy and then divide up the task and start building. The kindergartners took a different approach. They did not strategize. They did not analyze or share experience. They did not ask questions, propose options, or hone ideas. In fact, they barely talked at all. They stood very close to one another. Their interactions were not smooth or organized. They abruptly grabbed materials from one another and started building following no plan or strategy. Sounds like a lot of you guys that start trading, right? <laughs> when they spoke, they spoke in short burst. Here, no, here. Their entire technique might be described as trying a bunch of stuff together. I love that. If you had to bet which of the team which of the teams would win, it would not be a difficult choice. You would bet on the business school students because they possess the intelligence, skills, and experience to do a superior job. This is the way we normally think about group performance. We presume skilled individuals will combine to produce skilled performance in the same way we presume two plus two will combine to produce four. Your bet would be wrong. In dozens of trials, kindergartners built structures that averaged 26 inches tall, while business school students built structures that averaged less than 10 inches. In the bottom, it says also, the team of kindergartners also defeated teams of lawyers uh, who, built average, uh, who built towers that averaged 15 inches, as well as teams of CEOs um, who did 22 inches. So it looks like the total order was kindergartners, CEOs, lawyers, and then finally business school students. So don't go to business school, moral of the story if you wanna build marshmallow and spaghetti structures. So next, the result is hard to absorb because it feels like an illusion. We see smart, experienced business school students and we find it difficult to imagine that they would combine to produce a poor performance. We see sophisticated inexperienced, or excuse me, un, we see unsophisticated inexperienced kindergartners and we find it difficult to imagine that they would combine to produce a successful performance. But this illusion, like every illusion, happens because our instincts have led us to focus on the wrong details. We focus on what we can see, individual skills, but individual skills are not what matters. What matters is the interaction. The business school students appear to be collaborating, but in fact, they are engaged in a process psychologists call status management. 
They are fighting to find where they fit into the larger picture. Who is in charge? Is it okay to criticize someone's idea? What are the rules here? Their interactions appear smooth, but their underlying behavior is riddled with inefficiency, hesitation, and subtle competition. Instead of focusing on the task, they are navigating their uncertainty about one another. They spend so much time managing status that they fail to grasp the essence of the problem. The marshmallow is relatively heavy and the, sp and the spaghetti is hard to secure. As a result, their first efforts often collapse and they run out of time. The actions of the kindergartners appear disorganized on the surface, but when you view them as a single entity, their behavior is efficient and effective. They are not competing for status. They stand shoulder to shoulder and work energetically together. They move quickly, spotting problems and offering help. They experiment, they take risk and notice outcomes, which guides them towards effective solutions. Change the page here. The kindergartners succeed because, or not because they are smarter, but because they work together in a smarter way. They are tapping into a simple and powerful method in which a group of ordinary people can create a performance far beyond the sum of their parts. This book is the story of how that method works. Then it goes on to group culture is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. We sense its presence inside successful businesses, championship teams, and thriving families, and we sense when it's absent or toxic. Now, we'll stop right there before I read you guys the whole book, right? Because then I'd have to request that I get paid for doing the audio version. But it's a very interesting dynamic. And the way it relates to trading, at least in my experience, is that you know, I used to tell people to stay away from forums, right? Stay away from trading forums because they are toxic places full of the scum of the earth. Now, not all trading forums are like that. Obviously, you, you, you can, what we have here, we have a, a, a chat at Tier 1 Trading. I don't want to call it a forum, but it's, it's a chat. But the difference is it's, a, it's, it's not an open chat, meaning your typical trading forum or your Facebook group is open to everyone. And eventually, the bad apple comes and spoils the bunch. I had a great Facebook group on uh, uh years ago where i bought it i bought it I, or I, I created it because i'm always about group culture i believe group culture is it's, it's better right the the best way to become successful is to surround yourself with other successful people and learn from that type of environment um what i didn't realize or didn't want to admit is that you know again most of the people out there aren't the type of people you want in the group and and you know knowing what i know now about the 80 20 90 10 split just in general with people it should have been obvious but i remember having to shut down the group because of the toxic information that was being spread it started off as a group where traders would come in they would share ideas they would share stories uh share uh helpful thoughts i guess with newer traders and before i knew it there were traders in there that were spreading false information, meaning that traders would come in and, you know, they would have these big names, you know, and, and we, we have real names, but I've seen this in other forums where people are like Big Pippin and, and Pipzilla and stuff like that. And you look at these guys like, well, that's a cool name that he must be awesome. And then you look at how many times he's posted, man, Pipzilla's got 10,000 posts. He's got, you know, whatever thousand followers. 
he must be an influential figure, right? You do this kind of status management game where he's well, he's better than me because he has more likes. I shouldn't criticize what he says. I should just take it for whatever it is, right? People like that started coming in and they started spreading the wrong, the, the wrong information. They started telling newer traders false information. And what's scary is that these newer traders don't question it because of that status. They feel like, well, I have zero status in this place. I should just know my role and listen versus question anything that Big Pippin has to say. And you know what happens when, when you typically question someone, they, they, you, they yell at you, how dare you think that you newbie? That's a newbie question. They put you in your place and you feel embarrassed. I know that now because we have so many people that newer traders that come into the live room um, with me on a daily basis and are like, I, I, I hope this isn't a dumb question. Like they're so nervous about asking that first question because they're so used to being like berated and, and, and belittled, right? Uh, whenever they say anything, like it's just a pack of wolves pounces on them and tears them apart and makes them feel bad. They're not used to a culture where it's like, hey, yeah, ask away. That's how you learn. Um, so it spread that toxic culture culture because now newer traders are learning the false information stuff that's going to bleed them money in the markets but they think it's real so they and they're in that unconscious incompetent state where they just don't know so they go into the market they start doing bad habits and well i guess you guys can figure out the rest um so I, i've seen that kind of that status management game take place and i've seen that in other businesses too where i've been a part of many businesses and, and you guys know me i'm, I'm a very low-key person I do the shameless promotion on social media because I have to do it for the business. But if it was up to me, you wouldn't see my face. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't know anything about me. You know, I don't mind sharing my personal life. That's fine. But I don't like talking about myself as being this, this, this trader and this great trading coach because it just, you know, I, that's just not my style. I'm kind of behind the scenes, just get my work done, right? Get my work done, help people. I don't want recognition. I want to live a normal not normal life without being any type of celebrity or, or something like that. It's just my style. And I take that same mindset whenever I go into business meetings where I'm usually the most quiet, quietest person in the room. And it's, and, and I, it's funny. Um, we even see this now at business meetings with tier one where, you know, we'll have a discussion like a keel, you know, say something. And I'm like, well, I'll say something when I need to say something. Right. Trust me. If, 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 if I have an opinion, I will say it and, and you will know about it. I don't hide my feelings. Um, but aside from that, I'm just kind of taking it. And I've been a part of many business meetings where we're, we're looking to form new businesses or we're, we're working with partners and we're sitting at the desk and I'm there and I'm just sitting there just taking it in. And we spend the first, right, probably 20, 30 minutes. Let me know if you've been here as well, right, for you business owners or, or just any type of project, even a group project at school. We spend the first 30 minutes Everyone just having a, comp a status competition. Well, I've done this. I've worked there. I have this degree. I did that. I did that. You know, we call it a, a blank measuring competition um, where everyone's just really, uh, you know, telling us about their highlight reel and, and, and trying to claim or, or show themselves while they're, why they're worthy to be a part of this group or why they're better than someone else. And then other people are saying, okay, well, they're, they're measuring. This guy is that good. So, okay, maybe I'm second in line, but I shouldn't comment about what he wants to say right? And all that is, is a waste of time. Just like I said in the book, you spend 30 minutes doing stuff like that. You get nothing accomplished aside from knowing John Smith's highlight reel and how many degrees he has and why he should be in charge of whatever, right? I don't like wasting time. You guys know me. Time is everything. If I'm going to waste 30 minutes, right? If I'm going to waste 30 minutes, 
I would much rather be like these kindergartners, right? I would much rather waste 30 minutes and waste for being a relative term because the way I'm about to tell you is not going to be a race um, or, or, uh, or a waste. I would rather try and fail. I'd rather spend 30 minutes trying and failing than spending 30 minutes talking about myself. Why? Because if I'm trying and failing, guess what I'm doing in the process? I'm learning. I'm gaining information. I tried, doesn't work. All right, do it this way. Try it again, doesn't work. Do it that way. And eventually, by the end of those 30 minutes, hopefully, I would have tried and failed enough to figure out every way that doesn't work and start focusing on the way that does work. Where that other group, they've wasted 30 minutes just, you know, find, you know, telling their Facebook status, basically. Um, and my approach is the same way to, to business. I, I, I tell you guys this all the time, right? Take a leap of faith. Take a leap of faith. Figure out how to land on the way down, right? So if you jump off a cliff and success is at the bottom, right? Find a way to safely land that success before smashing into the ground, right? But just do it because time isn't standing still. And many of us want to be so... Many of us want to be so overprepared, meaning we don't want to get started on something until we know everything about it. And, and the secret is this, you're never going to know that the way you learn everything about something is by doing it. Some of us are so nervous to get started that they just never get started in the first place. And if you want to do something, the easiest way to be, so that the quickest way to be successful is to start doing it. Put yourself in a situation where you're started, put yourself in a situation where you're held accountable, put yourself in a situation where you're going to make mistakes and the key is for you, you have to be, you have to be willing to accept these mistakes as lessons. These aren't negatives. Mistakes aren't negatives. They are positives because they're teaching what not to do. And the more you learn what not to do, right, you're finding solutions which tells you what to do. And it's only a matter of time before you you start doing less of the bad things and more of the good things. And Really, lately, my whole philosophy on life has been become, has been that, right? Whatever we're talking about, do less bad, do more good, right? Whether you're just living life as a person, you want to be fulfilled and happy and, 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 and be a, a productive, valuable member of this world, right? Do less bad things, do more good things. You should be able to sleep comfortable at night. Oh, you want to make more money in business, right? Waste less money on bad things, make more money on good things. Boom right? Anything you can think of goes to that. Anything you can think of to become more efficient, do less bad, do more good, right? Do more of what works, right? So don't be afraid to take that, that leap of faith. Don't be afraid to have random ideas and, 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 and try it out and, and not have it work. You're much better off doing that than sitting around overthinking. Because if you're overthinking and you're, you're arguing, at the end of the day, you're getting nowhere. And then you've still got to go through that process of trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. If you start with that process of diving in and just committing and accepting what the, the, the path to success looks like. I've shown you guys the, the chart many times where it's up and down and up and down, right? Well, now you're saving time because you've got started. And if you're doing things the right way, if you're doing things for the right reason, you will be successful. The only question is when. <laughs>